All right. I want to do three, two, one snap this week. Ready? All right. Three, two, one. Welcome to the Politipop Podcast, the podcast where we read between the lines of your favorite pop culture media and discuss the social and political themes within. I am your co-host, Mike Booch, a.k.a. Lovecraft's Cat, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by my co-host, Ty. Hey, what's going on? All right, fantastic. Not much. We are getting ready to review Lovecraft Country, which is a, uh, a an HBO original series that, that just premiered uh, recently. So it's still actually coming out, which is awesome. And... Um, it uh you know deals with the the lore of of famed or infamous if you want to go that route uh, fantasy writer H P Lovecraft and and puts a little racial undertone behind it but we'll talk about that in a little bit how's it going by you Ty? It's uh it's going okay. <laughs> How about with you? Um, going great. But uh, good, good. That's uh that's just in my own head. I'm aware that the world around me is burning, but my uh altered and ascended state of mind at the moment allows me to not focus on those things but yeah so uh so we're gonna go into lovecraft country are you ready for this ty oh i'm ready for lovecraft country all right and let's see if lovecraft country is ready for us we're gonna be reviewing episodes one through three to start and then we'll probably do some uh something similar as to what we did with Watchmen. you know we'll do uh the next three and the next three after that and we'll see uh, yeah we'll see how it goes from there uh but ty before we get into lovecraft country please give him the plot oh yeah the plot of lovecraft country is a young african-american travels across the u.s in the 1950s in search of his missing father short and sweet Yes. All across the way, he comes into these uh, very fantastic uh, sort of situations. I want to talk a bit about uh, Lovecraft. Uh, you know, Vox actually had this, uh, you know, this good bit of uh, talking about Lovecraft. I personally am not a huge reader of Lovecraft, but I do know that he is a problematic figure. Uh, go to our show notes and sources at politipoppodcast.wordpress.com and uh, see this article from Vox in which, uh, you know, with Lovecraft Country becoming a thing, uh, they, they talk about his history. Uh, they say his work saturates modern horror and literary fiction. He has directly influenced countless writers of modern horror, from Stephen King to Junji Ito to Guillermo del Toro. His monsters and the men who encounter their cosmic evil have left imprints everywhere, from alien designer H.R. Geiger to the otherworldly tentacle monsters of Stranger Things to true detectives Rust Cole. There's a prehistoric sea cucumber named after his most famous creation, Cthulhu. Yet H.P. Lovecraft and his works of literary horror are long overdue for a cultural reckoning, because Lovecraft may have been one of the 20th century's most influential writers, but he was also one of its most gallingly racist. Lovecraft leaves no room for debate about separating the artist from their art. He injected many of his most famous and beloved stories with overt racist metaphors and frequent blunt literal racism. For the past decade or so, as the extent of his racism has become more widely known and acknowledged, horror and fantasy writers whose landscapes are saturated with Lovecraft's influence have been trying to figure out what to do about him. I'll leave it at that. Uh, but it is interesting, knowing what we do about him, that uh, this is now being kind of like, uh, repurposed and uh, and and taken back, kind of like as a, as a means of agency, rebellion, even uh, by by black writers and black actors for uh, a show that showcases Lovecraft's greatest works in the lens uh, or from the lens of people of color, from black Americans. I, I think that's a, a really great uh, a great way to use his work, knowing who he was as a person. Yeah, I, I definitely think the title, uh, you know, has multiple, uh, you know, reasons for why why it's called Lovecraft Country. Obviously, they're like you said, they're portraying a lot of these these creatures and, and things that he he came up with, um, but also showing the racism uh, of the United States, right? As these characters travel across it and and interact with different people, and um, it, it's based on a book, so it was a novel that came out I think in twenty seventeen, I want to say maybe twenty sixteen, um, so it's a few years old. But uh, I've heard great things about the novel. Have not read it myself. Um, but you know, I jumped right into the show. Wanted to give it a shot. Um, and it's uh, it's interesting to say the least, right? It's definitely 
definitely uh, take some weird turns. Yeah, it uh, it, it's it's interesting how stuff kind of comes back around, right? As we discuss all of the same, um, you know, the same themes. We've really been tackling race with a lot of the stuff we've been reviewing lately, and uh, you know, we just talked about Jackie Robinson and and Chadwick Boseman last week, and of course, at the beginning of this is some wild fever dream in which, uh, in which uh, Atticus. He, he sees that he's facing down Cthulhu, and then all of a sudden, uh, Jackie Robinson comes up and starts beating the shit out of it with a bat. <laughs> like, you know, I was like, I was like, oh, what do, you, what do you know? Much like Jackie Robinson, Atticus is a veteran, albeit not from the same war. Well, Atticus is like, we, we find out very quickly that he loves reading, right? He's, he's a huge fan of, of fiction, of science fiction, horror. Um, he's a, he's so- an old school blurred. Yeah, so, you know, this dream is, is filled with things that I think are important to him so he he's probably a, a reader of lovecraft um he he obviously was inspired by jackie robinson um he is a returning soldier so these things all meld into this this quick dream um which was o- very over the top to me i don't know how you felt about it I, I was i was a little taken aback by it when i first saw it um but i really like the scene that follows when he wakes up on the back of the bus uh traveling through kentucky um, and he has this this great exchange with another um, you know black woman on on the on the bus, the only other black person on the bus. Um, and she goes, just going over another bridge named after some dead slave owner. Finally mm-hmm. made it to the promised land. Hallelujah, amen. He goes, good riddance, good riddance, the old Jim Crow. And he flips the bird out the window. And then you see the sign says this part of the bus is for for the colored race. So right, like right off the bat, they want you to know this is a very racist time. Uh, you know they're dealing with. Still, you know, the, the aftershocks of, of slavery and, uh, you know, slave owners and, and just how much that has impacted the United States, uh, which, you know, is super topical for what we've been talking about and what the world's dealing with right now. Yeah, but I want to take a step back and um, and just just note about what like what we mentioned last podcast, where I said, like, regardless of if you're an actor, you're a singer, you're a baseball player, uh, you know, depending on what color you are, like racism does have a place in your story. And so even without like making it making this story about race specifically, I feel like they just because of where they said it and who the characters are, ra- you know, race is inherently a part of it. Like even if even if he didn't say good riddance told Jim Crow, you'd still have them sitting there in the colored section of the bus. Like yes. it is, you know, it is it is ever present in in our society. And, um, you know, then then it was, you know, it was just a little more obvious <laughs> than, it, than it is now. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, uh, a coworker of mine actually said that they didn't feel it was in your face as it was in Watchmen. Which I thought was, you know, obviously kind of a racist comment, but uh, but you no, know, that makes sense. I, I was like, okay, all right, you know, Watchmen was like wanted you to stare hard at it, I guess, you know, where this is like this is the this is the, t- the setting, the time it takes place in the past, right? I think that's the big difference. Where Watchmen kind of took place in present day, slight future, maybe, you know, th- this is in the past where people, you know, they they accept that there was racism in the 1950s. You know? Yes. So it's yes. easier to, to stomach that, I think, for, for white folk. Yeah, I think if you're like a, a you know a white person now, even a white liberal, if you're watching something that's based in uh, in the 1950s, obviously racism is going to have to be a part of it. But to see it now in what they consider to be a post-racial America after Obama's been president, we've had a, you know, a black man as president, like, you know, it. I think it, it does make them uncomfortable to be like, come on, like... You know, it's not this bad anymore. It's it's not that bad. Yep. And and I think that's that's the problem is having to reconcile with the fact that guess what, man, 1950s just put on a whole new shade of paint, and it's the still it, it's still the same place. Exactly. You know, and, and it's easy for them to say because they're not the ones that are they're being affected by it directly, right? You know, it, they get to to live their life without having to recognize uh, you know racism and systematic racism. Um, but but if you're a person of color in, in the United States in 2020, it is it is just as evident as it was in the 1950s or, or whatever time period you want to look at. Uh, it's still there. It, it hasn't gotten anywhere. 
um, no matter how much it tries to disguise itself. And I just want to go back to one thing before we move forward, uh, because I was uh, totally certain for some reason that Atticus was a World War One veteran. Um, but knowing <laughs> that, knowing that the thing did begin in World War One, uh, you know, just kind of drove me down this rabbit hole. So check out our show notes and sources if you want to talk about, if you want to, you know, learn a little bit more about, you know, what it was like fighting for uh, Jim Crow America, what it was like having to, you know, be like if you were a medic, you were only allowed to look after black soldiers. You know, you were part of a completely segregated labor unit. Uh, and, you know, we know from when we spoke with Pope that obviously, like, you know, when you enter into the service, everybody gets a job. But these were these were still like segregated jobs. And, yep. you know, they were you know, they were still like even, um, you know, even in, uh, you know, while they were like training in Texas and stuff, there's there's one uh, there's one account of like a little bit of a race riot happening and and like the, you know, the cops killing black soldiers. You know, like, and then of course after yep. you know after after coming back, what kind of a country are you know are you are you given after this, uh, which was also covered in Watchmen. You know, they uh, they talked about um, about Will Reeves's father, who you know who was a World War One vet, getting notes from his from his German friend saying like, dude, like, why are you fighting for a country where you can't even sit in the same section uh, as as other people? Like, <laughs> yeah, definitely something that you know we, we see here. Um, are you sure it was World War One in that flashback? Because I'm looking it up, and it says the Korean War in that as well. Guys, we've we've just come to a conclusion that um, I don't know history, and uh, I was I was confused by something in the episode, which we'll we'll put in the outtakes, which will probably be a separate thing. I think I'm going to start putting outtakes behind the paywall because that's, that's um, they're insane. Uh, I was misled by a soundtrack in the episode that made me believe it was 1928, in which it doesn't matter because World War One didn't happen then. But yeah, it was, it was far over and World War Two was still many years away. They were fighting in trenches. <laughs> it's an Gosh. imaginary war in 1928 with, with Cthulhu. People don't my talk point, about that. My point is there's a history of black Americans fighting for a country which treats them only as cannon fodder and a resource, but not as people. All right. Yes, which is great. Why is it great? No, it's a great point. Sorry. Oh, oh God. I was like, jeez. <laughs> oh, by the way, I, I'm, I'm a white supremacist now. Imagine you just <laughs> dropped that. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm on the show. I'm the other point of view. You're the you're Ty Shapiro. <laughs> so so going back to the scene on the bus, uh, the bus breaks down, right? And uh, a truck pulls up to take all the people that were on the bus, but they only take the white people. Um, and Atticus mm-hmm. and this other woman have to walk. And she comments on the book he's reading. I believe it's called The Princess of Mars. Um, it's a John Carter story. And he, he begins to tell her about it a little bit. Um, and he mentions how John Carter was a former Confederate soldier, a Confederate general. Um, and she says, uh, you know, he was a Confederate soldier. And he goes, well, ex, you know, Confederate. And she goes, he fought for slavery. You don't get to put an X in front of that. And oh, he, he replies, like stories are like people. Loving them doesn't make them perfect. You just try to cherish them, overlook their flaws. And she says, yeah, but the flaws are still there. And I thought that was such a great exchange because, you know, I think we, we see that today all the time, right? Like, like uh, you know, oh, like they, they've changed. They, you know, they, they're not the same or like, you know, they're, they're a good person at heart. They just, you know, they have some problematic views and, you know, people like to make excuses for the ones they care about. Um, but, but those flaws are still there. And, you know, <laughs> the Confederacy was a Confederacy and you don't get to just forget what they did. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's also a meta moment, right? I think this is them acknowledging from the get-go, like, yeah, we're going to have to separate the art from the artist on this one. Like, you know, we're taking Lovecraft, we're doing our own thing with his work, and we are aware that he was, you know, very problematic. Check in the show notes and sources for uh, uh, the history on Lovecraft's cat's name. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, also it's interesting to see it now because, like, J.K. Rowling is, like, a modern-day Lovecraft in that effect, you know? Like, she made all these amazing stories that have helped people accept themselves and learn to stand up to authority and, uh, you know, and, and just become better people, and yet she is a huge transphobe. So, yeah, like, you know, you got to se- you separate what you can from the, from the artist, right? Yeah, it's hard, you know? You, don't, you can't take away that they accomplish something great. They... they they were a brilliant mind, but they're not a good person. Uh, and you have to acknowledge both, I think. Yeah, yeah, because you know nobody nobody is entirely good or or, or entirely bad. You know, um, 
you know, but uh, but speaking of bodies, uh, they they had this really awesome moment between uh, now this is Atticus's aunt and uncle, Uncle George, right? Yes. Yep. Now uh, we get introduced to them and they're uh, you know waking up in the morning and I just thought it was really great to to kind of like normalize uh, you know like sex between older people who aren't also like super in shape people like you know like they're both you know a little older they're both portly and they're both like you know just being sensual and erotic with each other I thought that that was uh, that was you know nice representation uh, to see personally just like yeah you know, yeah really I like, I agree in a re- regard but I also feel like this is a, typi- a typical HBO. Show. Show, they have to check off certain boxes. So like, we don't right, even see our ev- boobs. Every not, episode needs some sort of sex scene. Every you know, every episode needs a sex scene, um, which we saw a lot with the early seasons of Game of Thrones and, and oh, pretty much yeah. every yeah. other show that they've ever made. So you know, I, I, that, that's one thing. I'm like, okay, we we don't necessarily need all this, but okay. If it were uh, chubbier people of color in Game of Thrones, that would have been much. Been much <laughs> um, no, but um. But yeah, we also, uh, you know, we also see that like this is a story about a family uh, with a black-owned business too, and that uh, Atticus's uncle George, he is, uh, you know, he's like a, a tour guide, and he gives people safe passage, a, a modern-day uh, Harriet Tubman sort of thing, because he says yeah. specifically like we provide safe passage for Negroes to travel. So once again, even if it's just a story about people running a business, it's still has to have race in it just because of where it's set and who it is this is based on you know real things that happen people made you know travel guides for for other black americans to use so they would know what towns to avoid uh you know what what areas were safe how to get around because you know the the kkk and 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 just racism in general was very very strong right the segregation was was still heavy in, in in the country and you know depending on what you could be killed just for entering the wrong town. Right. So they, they really, this was so vital to saving lives. Um, and his uncle, you know, took upon himself to, to do this. And, uh, he's obviously very successful at it. Now, episode one, I didn't realize that they put all of this in episode one. This is the sundown town. Yes. Yep. This is There's wow, a lot that happens in the first episode. Yeah, it really is. And we spoke about the sundown towns when we were covering Watchmen, uh, which, by the way, Regina King, Yaya Abdul-Mateen, uh, both just won Emmys for it. Uh, it's, you know, yep. HBO's Watchmen clean, clean house, uh, and rightfully so. It was an awesome, awesome uh, work of art, awesome yeah. series, awesome season, whatever you limited, want to Limited show. series, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe I should maybe I should do an extra segment where I just read Twitter beefs I'm having with people because I had something with Watchmen recently too. This that would be pretty hilarious. I enjoy reading them. That you know I'm gonna have to start doing that because uh, we're on YouTube now. So like like I'm trying to think of other content to put out. Whoa. You know to, yeah, dude. Maybe people are watching this on YouTube right now. I don't know because I'm not including this part in the actual episode. Oh, okay. I want to point out a couple of other uh, you know awesome moments that. Uh, that, that we see in this episode because it is also just kind of like a lot of it is just setting, you know, so we understand exactly what kind of a world they're living in. Uh, you know, we, we see that, that like while they're on the road, these guys are, are jeering at them and making monkey sounds and stuff. And, and instead of like getting into a fight, they drive away uh, from this roadside cafe. But right across the street is this Aunt Jemima pancakes uh, billboard. And, yeah. I, you know, I thought that that was really powerful because, you know, a lot of people do see Aunt Jemima today and they don't think it's it's a problem. But Aunt Jemima does stand from, uh, you know, racist stereotypes. And, and, uh, and even though it might not outright say like, oh, like, hey, you know, Massa, blah, blah, blah. Like, even though, like, Aunt Jemima herself isn't saying racist things, like, just consistently seeing black people in a service position, I think that's uh, some kind of uh, a, a subliminal message of white supremacy that were fed every day. And, uh, you know, even even back then, obviously, racism was obvious, but I think, like, the Aunt Jemima was very specifically placed there to kind of, to kind of enhance that point. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. That, that, was, that was done purposely, for sure. I do like the fact that Tick, uh, short for Atticus, is is also a, a huge nerd. Like, you know, he was this skinny kid who was into science fiction and astrology. Yeah. Well, everyone mentions that, right? He was, you know, he had the, the Coke bottle glasses and he was always reading a book. And now he's this, like, jacked hunk, right, who just came back Oh, from my God, he's and, ripped. Yep, like, like damn. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, everyone's like, wow, all right, Tick. You know, when he, he meets up with uh, an old friend, Letty, and... 
you could tell she's she's pretty attracted to him right away, and you know, uh, yeah, yeah, it's cool that he like he loves. He loves, you know, fiction. He loves science fiction and horror, and he loves reading all these, these, you know, special stories, and they, they mean so much to him. Which, in and of itself, is also like a form of protest. Like his uncle George is a huge science fiction reader, and that's kind of where he gets it from. Uh, but you know, when you think back, uh, back to like when black people weren't even allowed to read, you know, like reading is is you know seen kind of as like a privilege it's a rite of passage it's you know it's something you 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 get to do not something you have to do and you know i think i think it's great to see that illustrated in the character of atticus yeah there, there's some great family drama here too that they, they briefly go into because you know tick is returned back to find his father um and, and you know i i think he mentions right in the first episode that his father wouldn't let him read hp lovecraft because of the racism in it you know, uh, his father wanted him to be be educated, but he also didn't want him to read, you know, from certain, you know, uh, white writers and, and things like that. Whereas his uncle kind of has pushed him in the other direction to kind of explore all works of, of fiction and all, you know, all, all kinds of things like that. So um, there, there's definitely a contrast between them. And Tick says early on that he joined the army to get away from his father. So, you know, we, we know that he's not he's not close with him, not in the way that he has that same relationship with his uncle where they seem to have a really good rapport. Yeah, uh, between his uncle and his father, there's a, a history of abuse from their father. And, you know, they both clearly take different levels of it and come out as very different people for it uh, in the end, which we see as the as the story progresses. Uh, this um, th- one of the most powerful images to me was when they drove by the black people standing by a bus stop and right behind them was this big billboard with a white family in a car. And it says the world's highest standard of living. No way like the American way. And, you know, it just shows that like. You know, that despite all of the progression that America made uh, as as like, you know, a young country made up of a little, you know, a bunch of puny colonies, like the incredible boom it had. It was due to slavery, to free labor. That's how you have, you know, a poor, small country that becomes a global superpower in such a short amount of time, you know, but it. It, you know, it does show that not everyone had access or, or still does have access to that high standard of living. And it's it's shown just in that image. And, you know, you can have Jackie Robinson beating up Cthulhu all you want. But like that was actually the most powerful image of this episode for me was, yeah. you know, that that line of people standing at the bus stop while, you know, <laughs> there's a there's a white family in a car behind them living the American dream. Yeah, You actually you actually sent me a, a screenshot of that. You were. Yeah, I took a picture it. of it. Yeah, I had to. I even turned the subtitles off for it and everything so I could get a good one. Look, um, there's so many little things that kind of yeah. support that too, right? Uh, like Letty comes home and she, you know, they're in Chicago and they're in a primarily black neighborhood, right? Where, where you know, it's all black citizens on the street. Um, and we see like a white police officer turning off a, a fire hydrant as the kids are playing with it. And he looks really angry. You know, he won't even let them have that. And then, you know, Letty says to, to her sister, you know, she needs a place to stay. She's going to get a job. And they talk about how she doesn't want to clean houses because that's one of the jobs that would be given to her. Uh-huh. Uh, she wants yeah. to work in, in one of the stores. And, and her sister says, you know, I've been trying to, you know, apply there for years and they've never hired me. You think you're really going to get a job there? So the opportunities for them are so limited. You know, they don't they don't have the same chance to to walk into a department store and get a job there as as silly as that may seem right you know doesn't seem like the, the greatest job in the world but for for some of these people that was a dream uh, just to have that opportunity and this is important to realize today too because a huge argument is like i never owned a slave you were never a slave grow up like or like you know i never uh you know burned a cross you were never uh you know fighting for civil rights or, or anything like that so you know so story over blah 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 but it's like you know the 50s aren't long ago at all and you know just just think of how like how while your grandfather or grandfather's parents, you know, or grand, you know, great grandparents were like, were, were, you know, coming here and making a name for themselves and everything and starting, you know, maybe they were working those lowly jobs and, and, and starting to build up some sort of wealth for, for you to have in this generation that there are a lot of people whose, whose grandparents, great grandparents, ancestors in general didn't have those opportunities. So, you know, even even though there may be equal opportunity for a black person, a white person to walk into CVS right now and get a job, you know, the the fact that that opportunity wasn't there, you know, back then has still rippled into today. Yep. So talk about the restaurant real quick. The restaurant and then the sundown chase are like the biggest. 
Yeah, so uh, Tick's Uncle George, I think he, he knew about a diner, right, that he I think he had been to before. Um, so they go into this town, and and things look different to him this time. And, and when they pull up, he's, he's like, I think this is the place. You know, he seems a little unsure. They wind up going inside the order. Yeah, I think two... he said he, act- he actually got, like, a note on it, too, from somebody. Right, like, right, saying this yeah. is safe specifically for black people to eat here. Yep. So so they go inside to eat, and, and you know, there's a white gentleman working there, and another white man who leaves immediately when they come in. Um, and, and you know, they're they're trying to get served, and there's definitely some tension in the air, right? You can tell that that this is not a, a common thing for for this this diner. Uh, and I believe Letty goes to use the bathroom, and while she's doing that, she overhears the man working there, you know, calling someone on the phone, talking about how there's black people in the restaurant. So she runs out, and she's like, we got to get the hell out of here now. So they get their stuff, they jump in the car, uh, and they, they take off, right? And all of a sudden, right around the corner comes all these, you know, uh, these good old boys with their with their guns, and, and they start they start firing at them. They're, they're Can I pause to... real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Because there's another thing that reminded me of Watchmen, and I didn't even know this was a thing. But while Atticus is sitting in the diner, he like he looks at the walls and see that it's all brick inside for some reason. It's all like white, white brick. And then, um, you know, and he's, he says, why did you say, you know, Uncle George, why did you say that uh, the White House was painted white? And, and he was like, oh, well, after they built it back up, after it was burned to the ground, they wanted to cover up the burn marks. And Atticus moves a tile and it and sees the burn marks underneath and it turns out that this right. place might used to be uh for for black people it used to be safe for them to eat at but guess what it got burnt down and it's not like that anymore and that's similar to what happened in Watchmen where the one guy was uh Molotov that deli and then took over the deli yeah. uh, later on in the story so, practice, so yeah you know bu- yeah. bullying and and just <laughs> destroying people's lives yeah. uh you know they don't outwardly say this is the KKK but you know, it's obviously a, a you know a contingent of of they're not races. boy scouts. Um. Yeah, you know, of racists who are willing to murder these these black people for trying to eat in in a diner. You know, uh, and and it turns into this crazy this crazy car chase with them firing at them, and you know, uh, Tick has a gun of his own, so he starts firing back, and it's uh, it's a pretty wild scene. Yeah, there's um, you know, yeah, I I was blown away to see tick actually firing back because like you know i guess at a certain point like there's this unspoken tension between white people and black people that uh i remember seeing in 42 and and uh also you know we see it uh you're gonna hate me for this but we see it in uh the beginning of umbrella academy season two also (laughs) like like there's this idea (laughs) like this this whole idea of like white people they specifically like wanted black people to lash out back then like they kept egging them on and egging them on so that way when they finally did something then it was okay to fight them and do whatever you wanted to them and you know so i was surprised to see like atticus actually shooting back but at this moment they were already being shot in the first place yeah and yeah this is uh, the whole just give me a reason right just give me a reason to do it give me a reason but you know this take take is a he's a soldier now He's not that, yes. that young boy anymore. People don't, you know, they might not realize it, but you know, he's gone to war. He's probably killed people. Uh, so if he's if his back's against it, he's gonna fight back. And uh, this isn't even the most tense chase in the in the episode no, either. It's not. Uh, you know, they manage to they manage to uh, get in front of uh, some sort of uh, incredibly fancy silver-looking Ford, which uh, you know actually. Uh, you know, goes back to earlier in the episode when Atticus uh, found out from a re- uh, from a bar owner that his father, uh, I think, left in a car that was like that. So uh, this car has something up with it because it acts as like an invisible force field that stops the car that's chasing them down. Atticus doesn't know what to make of it, and they bolt out of there, which leads into the most um, the the most tense uh, tense ex- uh, the most tense chase of this episode uh why do they stop again do they stop to just use the bathroom because i think they have gas well they're they're lost they can't find the entrance that's supposed to be there so they've been circling this like forest uh for hours and i think um tick says pull over and he's like he's looking around and i think he goes to you know maybe use the bathroom like you like you mentioned and a a police officer rolls up at this moment yeah and he uh you know he, he tells them that like this is a sundown town which uh we know from you know from our friend Bronson actually still exists in some places you know he's in Oklahoma and basically if you're if you're the wrong color in a sundown town 
uh, people are liable to do whatever they want to you if you're caught there. And uh, and it, it's very tense. And, you know, there's this interesting part where Letty, like, if you look in the back, she she kind of doesn't know what to do with her hands, which yeah. I, I thought was so telling, even though she doesn't really have any lines here. And, uh, you know, they're saying, all right, well, we'll get out of here. We'll, you know, we'll go over the county um, uh, south. And he's like, oh, well, sundown's in seven minutes and south is too too far for you. And they're like, all right, fine, we'll go north. And, and he's like, oh, you know, you just might make it. And uh, and he's like, can I do a U-turn here? And the cop is just sweating him down so much. And he's like, well, normally I consider it a crime, but considering the situation, I might let you if you ask me nice. And, uh, you know, and he, you know, he asked him to call himself the N-word and ask nice and all this other stuff. But it's what, what is it, a six-minute? Uh, chase like yeah. like you know and they can't go too fast because then they can get pulled over for speeding so yep. ryan johnson please take notes on what a slow speed chase should look like <laughs> um, uh, but yeah it was uh it was it was so tense and like you know they they gotta go just the right speed so the cop doesn't have a reason to pull them over and it's just wild how they have to obey the law knowing full well that the cop wants to kill them and the he starts literally them. ramming the back yep. of their car and they He's can't the do car. anything they have to pretend like it's not happening. And this is terrifying for them. You know, they, they know that they're minutes away from their own demise uh, and there's not a thing they can do. So, you know, they just have to just keep going. Yeah. And it's even it's just terrifying to watch, too. And even though they do escape and they make it out. There are a bunch of cops waiting for them who are called and, uh, you know, they drag them into the woods and you know what they're going to do next. But all of a sudden they start being attacked by these monsters who, you know, seem to be right out of a Lovecraft novel, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think the uncle actually mentions uh, these monsters, like, earlier, you know, how in in the forest you could hear them running around at night and and stuff like that, and um, this is where the the show kind of takes a turn for me, because I I came into it, you know, for the Lovecraft monsters, um, but I'm staying for the, for the, the way they discuss social commentary. Yeah, Yeah. social commentary on racism. Um, I kind of felt the monsters were a little cheesy. Oh, how so? Yeah. Like the way they looked, or just their introduction into the story? It, like it's it's it just was already a good story to me. That okay, I could see that it was. You yeah, know? they had to go into a cabin in the woods and hide out, and uh, you've got like this whole like really intense story, and then all of a sudden there's like these CGI monsters running around, and people are getting their heads bitten off, and they're like, "We gotta go," you know. It just became like very over the top for me, and um, that's something I kind of feel whenever there's these supernatural elements to the show. Yeah, I, I can see how you would think that. For me, you know, I was I was definitely on on board with it just because it it cut the tension by chewing up racists. Uh, so that was nice. But <laughs> nice. I can I can absolutely see see how you'd uh, how you'd say that. And uh, and I thought it was very poetic that that these cops uh, are now also in fear for their lives after sundown because now they have to wait until the sun comes up for these monsters to go away. If these monsters are even what uh, what Uncle George is hypothesizing them to be, yeah, uh, they don't you know they don't even know that for a fact. But uh, you know, but it's you know we don't have to go into all the individual action of it. But it was a pretty cool scene. You know, I love seeing stuff. Uh, you know, like uh, when people have to hold out and stuff. Uh, you know, for the night and fight the the, the hordes. So, so you know that. Yeah, was, they have that to use light cool. to fight against them because the creatures don't like light. You know, there's there's some really inventive stuff they use the headlights and uh, you know and, and flashlights and all kinds of ways to um, flares and yeah. yeah. Uh, but the episode ends when they are called off by a whistle and they end up getting to the place where uh, Tick's father told him to go. And that brings us right into episode two. They're in this mansion with a bunch of white people who, and, uh, and you know, the one white guy who's showing them around lets them to their rooms where for some reason they have like all the books you could ever want, all the clothes you could ever want, like whatever you want, your room is tailored specifically to you. And, you know, it's kind of making uh, Letty and uh, and Uncle George forget uh you know, forget themselves, forget even what happened in the woods. But but Tick Tick is still able to remember for some reason. Um, yeah, yeah, his his memories are are unaffected, and, and you know he's trying to remind them what happened, and they they don't remember it at all. So you know he's very suspicious, and you know he goes looking, and uh, you know he's trying to f- f- uh, figure out what's going on, and he finds that their car, which had been uh, severely damaged, right, from the creatures, is is here now, I believe, and it's all repaired. Yeah, not only is it like repaired, but uh, they're they're actually like being invited to dinner and stuff, and um, 
you know, even though in this in this mansion there still is a hierarchy, like there's white people there who don't want the black people to be around. And we we also end up finding out, correct me if I'm wrong, but this uh, this one guy was actually uh, was he Adam or a descendant of Adam? I think he was Adam himself from the Bible, right? Trying to get back into Eden? No, I think he, I thought he was the descendant of Adam. Okay, so he's a descendant of Adam trying to get back into Eden. And uh, we also find out that somehow Atticus also has uh, some Adam's blood in him. Is that... Yeah, I, I believe this... His his ancient ancestor, you know, raped a slave um, or, you know, ha- had sexual relations with a slave and, and resulted in, in his blood um, being, you know, him his bloodline being related to him. So him him having almost this place of honor even though he's he's black um you know he he does have a place of honor in this house and only because of uh of his his lineage from a white man which um you know i wasn't thinking about it but before but now that it's here uh you know we can talk about like the difference between uh you know light-skinned black and and dark-skinned black how there is uh a a a true hierarchy that that does date back to slavery in which you know when uh masters would rape their slaves and have like mixed uh children who at the time were called mulatto uh now we don't we don't say that um uh but they uh but like they would be the ones who still like while slaves or servants would be afforded more rights than your average field slave like they would be able to work in the house and um you know I, it is interesting to see like letty is the only light-skinned character which which i thought was an interesting casting i do think that uh journey smollett does an awesome job she's she's so charismatic and magnetic and everything yeah. uh but you know um you know, they they di- I think they made conscious choices to choose uh, a dark skinned lead for this for this role, and um, you know it is interesting uh, that more commonly you don't see uh, dark skinned uh, black women being cast into into leading roles as often as you do light skinned women. Yeah, uh, because yep, you know white supremacy still even though it like it still makes its way into progressive matters. You know. Um, you know, it hasn't it hasn't come up in in the show like the difference because even Letty's sister is a lot darker than she is. Yes, yeah, Ruby, she she is much darker. <laughs> you know, and and then also and then also she she's a little more portly too. So it is interesting to see the things that they both fight about, and you know, the privileges one might be afforded that the other isn't uh, isn't afforded. You know, the big uh, climax of this episode is in which you know they uh, they start. Do you want to talk about anything else that happens in this episode in regards to like the well, you know the woman uh, with the dogs? Or... Yeah, I mean you you did mention um, that you know they had been when they were being chased early you know in the last episode at the diner there had been this car that pulled up so the driver of that car is the daughter of 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 the man who owns this mansion right the the descendant of of Adam uh, Christina Braithwaite. and uh, Braithwaite, I think Braithwaite, thank you yeah and you know they bring up some really great. Um, things about about women and, and sexism in here as well. You know, there's this secret society that is formed for these descendants. And you know, while Tick, uh, you know, even though he's a black man, he actually is able to command a lot of these these people in the society because of his bloodline and tell them to leave the room right when he wants to. Um, but which but is Christina, a great reversal to see, yeah, yeah. But Christina doesn't get these same privileges because she's a woman, um, and and even though she's a white woman, you know, she she still is being you know oppressed. Um, and, and this her father is the leader of this group, and she is still relegated to to just being you know on the sidelines. Um, and, and we we quickly learn that she's she's quite brilliant. You know, she she knows uh, what's happening here, and she she begins the plot with Tick. Um, you know, to, to try and help him out because she knows what's going to happen and he doesn't. Uh, and, and also there's there's some great moments where they're alone in their rooms and they all experience some very, uh, you know, personal situations, right? Uh, Letty is, is, you know, she sees yes. Tick come to her and they're going to make love because she's, she's obviously very attractive and she wants him. And he turns out to be like this demonic version of himself that tries to like rape her with like a, a snake penis right so and he has yeah and he has the snake which goes to the biblical nature of, yes. of uh, the entire mansion as well once we find out what the history is yeah and you know george sees um what appears to be a, a former love of his right um someone that you know his is a lot less upsetting i guess because it's kind of a happy moment for him but he knows it's not real and he has to let her go 
Uh, and Tix is very interesting because he winds up fighting what, what seems to be a female Korean soldier um, that he recognizes, I believe, you know, and, and, and she tries to kill him. And this is very traumatic for all of them. Uh, and, and, you know, w- when it's over, when they escape the room, they're all shaken up. And, and George, the uncle, kind of brings them together. And he's like, you know, they're trying to drive a wedge between us. We can't let them do that. We have to stick together. It kind of reminded me of uh, like the, the, the Lotus Eaters, uh, which is a Greek mythology thing. Like you go into this, the land of the Lotus Eaters or whatever it was, and you like eat these lotuses and you lose all sense of like time and space and where you are and mm. you just want to stay there. It's like a, a casino basically. Interesting. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, but it, 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 was, it, was, it was very interesting to see, uh, to see, just to see how the whole place worked. You know, it seemed kind of like, kind of like magical and, you know, a little bit of mystery and a little bit of whimsy. And I, and I like that, um, you know, at the very end, we have uh, this moment where, uh, where Atticus agrees uh, to, to help this, this not Adam dude make it back into the Garden of Eden. And, uh, you know, they start like, you know, they start doing this whole ritual and you see Eden uh, forming around him while this awesome song is playing and it's called Whitey's on the Moon. Well, I'm not sure if it's called that, but the main course is Whitey's on the Moon. And it talks about how like, you know, oh, I can't pay my rent, but Whitey's on the Moon. You know, I, you know, I, I, I'm homeless, but Whitey's on the Moon. You know, I still have to sit in the back of the bus, but Whitey's on the Moon. You know, they want my tax dollars for another war they got to fight, but Whitey's on the Moon. Like, it, like as in no matter how well America seems to be doing, it can't be a reflection of how well people of color are doing. And it's married back uh, with this idea of religion, at least this is how I saw it, about the history of religion and how it's been used to oppress black people. Uh, and it's, you know, it was used to justify slavery. And it's, and it's wild how it's made its way into so much of the black community as well, despite being used as an original tool of oppression. That's how I saw this, this scene, uh, you know, with what Adam was using Atticus's uh, body for. So at the end of episode two, Christina gives a lot of hints to Tick on, and you know, how to survive this ordeal because they're going to use his blood, right, to, to open this portal that will... Uh, get her father um you know through this gateway it's it, it's a whole like very like sci you know sci-fi-ish kind of situation um and we realize that Tick, yeah we don't know, need to have all the jargon down yeah he, he he has you know he has some sort of power over over the situation he uses that to to basically kill all of these uh people in this cult in this in this group um and, and the mansion begins to collapse um but you know the Unfortunately, they had been forced into this situation because Letty had actually been shot and killed. Um, and then his uncle George was also shot, but Letty was was actually revived. She was brought back to life, which was, you know, extremely traumatic to her. She experienced death and rebirth, and, uh, you know, we, we see her going through this. Um, and, 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 you know, Christina's father says, you know, look, look I, I can bring them back. So if you, if you help me, if you work with me, no one else will, will have to pay, right? I'll let them all live. Only you will die. So, you know, that's why he agrees this in the first place. But unfortunately, um, his uncle George does not make it. He, he dies from his gunshot wound. Um, and, and they, and this is after finding, uh, finding Atticus's father. Yeah. Know? Yeah. They find, they, they, asshole. yeah, it's, it's a pretty funny moment too, right? Where his father yeah. escapes just as they find him. Um, yeah. Oh, but, we you know, we're here to save you. He's like, I save myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, you see, even the surrounding town around them is racist, right? Like, it, like they can't go anywhere without being confronted by racism. Um, but yeah, so you know, Atticus is reunited with his father, but he loses his uncle George. Uh, and, and George and, and and his father have a have a moment beforehand where it's insinuated oh, yeah, that George may be Atticus's real father. Which is so terrible. Like, you've had your father by your... Like, technically, you've had your father by your side this whole time, and now you find your father and lose a father in the process. It was... Yeah, it's uh, pretty terrible. Um, and, you know, they really don't tell us exactly what happens right after because episode three starts off with a bit of a time jump. I think it's been, what, three months since those incidents? Yeah, um, yeah, it was a little jarring for me. Yeah, yeah, they, uh, you know, they managed to uh, to escape, and, uh, you know, we see that, that through some way or another, Letty has come into money, and she decides to open up a boarding house. She moves into uh, a very white neighborhood, 
um, which, uh, you know, they mention Trumbull Park. Uh, and I want to talk about uh, Trumbull Park a bit. There's an article uh, that goes into it. Letty's white neighbors are not thrilled with the concept of a black woman moving into their neighborhood, especially since Letty intends to use her home as a boarding house for members of the community in need. Her sister, Ruby, mentions the happenings in Chicago's Trumbull Park as a warning. Uh, Trumbull Park is well known for race riots that occurred from 1953 to 1954. And, uh, you know, they they talk about those, you know, they, you know, this episode brings brings up uh, the energy of those race riots in which, uh, you know, white people start uh, coming through and intimidating them. Uh, they, they leave bricks on the horns of their cars. So, like, they're constantly, uh, you know, like uh, constantly in the heads, uh, right in the background of, of these black people just trying to live their lives. And, um, you know, it kind of reminded me just about how, uh, you know, like recently uh, Trump, he he had a you know a speech that he gave uh well actually not that reason in July Trump gave a speech uh to you know to a bunch of suburbanites and he said the democrats in DC have been want to at a much higher level abolish our beautiful and successful suburbs by replacing far left washington bureaucrats in charge of local zoning decisions they're absolutely determined to eliminate single-family zoning destroy the value of houses and communities already built just as they have in Minneapolis and other locations that you read about today. Your home will go down in value and crime rates will rapidly rise. And uh, he also says, what will be the end result is you will totally destroy the beautiful suburbs. Suburbia will no longer be as we know it. So they wanted to defund and abolish your police and law enforcement while at the same time destroying our great suburbs. Uh, So, you know, that same sentiment comes from somewhere and it it does come from history, the idea of if uh, neighborhoods got you know, white neighborhoods got, got any black in them, you know, would start blackening the neighborhood too much and it would bring crime and all the other things that they believed black people brought, um, which is not true. Yeah. Yeah. Not true at all. It also combines their story with, uh, with a subplot about a haunting in this house. And this house is, uh, not only haunted by a bunch of uh, black people who were, you know, who were tortured and killed in this house, but also haunted by the person who did these things to them. So they're 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 all, you know, caught together. Now, I want to know, given your takes on the monsters in episode one, how did you feel about this plot? It seemed kind of like American Horror Story ish. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. Uh, I felt very American Horror Story. This whole series kind of feels American Horror Story ish in a lot of ways, where there's all these different. Uh, you know, supernatural elements happening and different storylines, um, which will, you know, I assume eventually connect, but did, did exactly that's the vibe I got from it. Um, I, I didn't mind it as much. You know, I, I thought there were some really gruesome frights in there and, and scares, but, uh, you know, uh, it, as a whole, it worked for me. Yeah, this was uh, th- this was wild to see because they made sure that, like, you know, the ghosts, they looked a little bit different. Like, maybe they would have the body of a man and the face of a baby. Um, yeah. Or, uh, you know, which I, I don't I don't know if it's on purpose, but I, I can always read into everything. You know how I do that, right? So, <laughs> you know, it could be the idea that, like, you know, black, uh, like, for the, for the most part, black people never really get a chance to live out their childhoods because they have to grow up so fast. They're considered older and, and you know, they're tried as adults at a younger age. So, you know, they have, they have no choice but to be adults. So, you know... That, you know that may be the case with some of these uh, some of these ghosts and and also we see that th- some of them are missing body parts and that they were not just tortured and killed but they were also part of experimentation. I want to talk a little bit more about that experimentation, which is very uh, unfortunately based in real life. Uh, starting in 1932, 600 African American men from Macon County, Alabama, were enlisted to partake in a scientific experiment on syphilis. The Tuskegee study of untreated syphilis in the Negro male was conducted by the United States Public Health Service and involved blood tests, X-rays, spinal taps, and autopsies of the subjects. Notice that last part: the autopsies. Uh, so. The goal was to observe the natural history of untreated syphilis in black populations. But the subjects were unaware of this and were simply told they were receiving treatment for bad blood. Actually, they received no treatment at all. Even after penicillin was discovered as a safe and reliable cure for syphilis, the majority of men did not receive it. Wow. So they intentionally used black bodies as experiments, as guinea pigs, to die off so they could study what syphilis does to you. 
you know, we also check the show notes and sources if you want to see uh, a bit about the history of gynecology and how the man who like pioneered uh, gynecology studies did so by by doing terrible things to slaves and black women and, um, you know, like uh, just just absolutely mutilating them to find out the things that we know about the woman reproductive system. And, uh, you know, it's carried into today. You know, there's, I think, 70 percent of uh, it was either nurses or medical professionals. I don't know. Last time I looked at the statistic, I uh, believe that that black people have a higher tolerance for pain than white people do. So they're less apt to provide anesthetic. Yeah. Uh, especially yeah. for black women. They're, so often they're, they're not given uh, the same, you know, medical advice or treatment as, you know, as white people. Yeah, um, P. Diddy's he, girlfriend he, died of a fucking lung disease, like a yeah. cold, like uh, and, uh, a pneumonia. That's what she died of. And even even black doctors uh, and, and nurses will actually do this because I think it's really? so ingrained um, in our in our system. You know, the systematic racism is always there. Um, that the, you know, even even though they too are people of color, they're they're so used to this idea. They're taught this. I guess you know through medical school and in other ways that uh, to, to to treat people like this and, it, and it's really horrible you know because uh, at the end of the day we are the same right it, it just you know very very little differences between us and and you know increased pain tolerance is not uh, is not true yeah and what's also not tolerated by Letty is all of this abuse that she's facing from these uh, from these local white people so she loses her you know, her patience for them, takes a baseball bat, starts smashing the cars that they left there, uh, you know, uh, smashing the bricks off of the wheels, uh, and which she, luckily, they're able to get rid of all the weapons involved in this before the cops come. But as she's being arrested, they they try to Freddie Gray her, uh, which if you don't know about Freddie Gray, he was a man in Baltimore who, uh, who cops, they arrested him alive. And then treated him so badly while transporting him in the van, like didn't secure him or anything and drove very erratically. Uh, like it broke his back. It killed him. Yeah. And, and they try to do this to her, right? They, they, yeah. uh, they buckle yeah. their seatbelts and they, they drive around. Like she, she hits her head and she's knocking around in the, in, in the vehicle. And, you know, it's, uh, it's very, very abusive. Yeah. And while I know this is historical fiction, I do wonder if that tactic did come from old school policing. I, I wouldn't doubt it, but I, I can't for say uh, I can't say for sure that it did. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, listeners take that with a grain of salt, please. They also give a nice little nod to Eddie Murphy here uh, when they had the ghost saying, get out. Uh, you know, he says, get out. I of didn't my even house. catch that. That's yeah, funny. Yeah. He goes, get out. And then he goes, of my house, you know, which uh, that joke by Eddie Murphy is also in the show notes. And that's that's what inspired the, the title for the movie. Uh, get out as well. Uh, so, you know, so Letty has to combat racism in this life and in the afterlife. She's able to bring together all of those ghosts who 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 were suffering and trapped in this house. And instead of them getting out, you know, they tell the 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 white ghost who tortured them and killed them. They tell him to get out. And it was a really beautiful, powerful moment. And uh, and they're able to actually exercise him. And as they do, all of the ghosts start taking their natural form and and humanizing and actually becoming uh, beings that look like people. And that that was that was that was really yeah. Great as well. Right right after they butcher a bunch of racists that broke into the house, right? <laughs> oh, I yeah. totally forgot that part. Right with the elevator yes. chopping off the the guy's head. Oh, that they, yeah. they definitely foreshadowed in the very few first few minutes. Um, <laughs> well, how did yes, you feel did. about like the voodoo uh, like ritual scene? Oh yeah, I forgot that happened. I was so I was pretty stoned watching episode three. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I can't speak on it one way or another. I yeah. do know that it's a trope. I do it know felt a little a unnecessary to me, but you yeah. Know. In that, if they were in Louisiana, that would be a different story. Yes, agreed. You know, it's like, such I a could, part of their yeah, culture. Yeah, culturally, that would make a little more sense. They were just like, "Yo, we're in, we're they're in Chicago, right? We're in the Chicago suburbs, and we just have a, <laughs> we just have a you know a, a witch doctor hanging around." Um, yeah, classic. You know, know. yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting choice they made, but I'm not I, I I'm not gonna condone nor nor condemn it. Um, but uh, but yeah, I I do like how they. You know, I'm not sure how much of this they do on purpose. Like, they did do the experimentations on purpose, knowing that I would watch it and and make that uh, you know, make that <laughs> that analogy or not. Um, but I, but I, I honestly wouldn't doubt it. If we know anything about HBO, they're really good. Uh, not HBO specifically, but like, 
You know, they're not going to put people to write their shows that don't know what the fuck they're doing unless it's uh, Westworld right, season two. Right. And they'll, yeah. you know, like, yeah. like Lindelof in that writer's room put a lot of subtleties into Watchmen. And I think a lot of subtleties are being put into this as well, that it's there if you want it. And, uh, you know, if you don't, then, you know, that's fine also. But, uh, but yeah, I definitely, you know, I definitely uh, uh, appreciate kind of different aspects of the black experience. They're choosing to mix them with the fantasy. Uh, I am interested to see where the fantasy and the horror do go, though. Yeah, because things don't really progress uh, as a whole in this episode much. You know, like Tick, I think, was getting ready to leave again. He winds up staying uh, because he runs into Christina again. Um, and and he, he actually tries to kill her, right? Who's Christina again? Uh, the woman she that he knew from Korea? Braith White. Oh, oh, sorry. Okay, okay. So it turns out that Tick tried to murder Christina Braithwaite, uh, but she uses a some sort of magic spell to actually control him. Um, and, and this winds up tying into how Letty was able to buy the house because I believe she tells Ruby that she had gotten an inheritance from their mother, and that's how she was able to afford it. Which Ruby's very upset by. Why? Why would you know Letty, who didn't even go to her own mother's funeral, get this money? Oh yeah. It turns out that Christina is actually the one that provided the the money for Letty to buy this house. So um, there's something in the house that she wants, and she tries to to leverage Letty that to assist her um, by by kind of telling her how you know how violent Tick is and, and revealing that that moment to her. So again, you know, you have even though she is. A, a woman, there's, there is, winds up being some differences between them, you know, and Letty doesn't trust her because as, as much as, you know, they have shared experiences, being a woman of color is still far different. And, you know, she, she's not going to just blindly trust this, this rich white girl. Yeah. Uh, last thing I wanted to talk about was, do you think that in that uh, time, Letty would actually dress like that? Uh, I don't like know. most times oh. she's like in halter tops, like and like yeah. and, and short shorts and stuff. Well, you know she's she's kind of like she's kind of a rebel. Sure you know what I mean? Like yeah. they show that she's kind of a grifter a little bit. It's um, not a male gaze thing. She like she knows she could use her looks to. to get what well, she yeah, I mean that's what she does. Right? She 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 yeah. manipulates people. She manipulates her own family. Yeah, yes, she does. You she know, does. So I think that plays into into her character a lot. Uh, definitely. I, I like how they use a lot of modern, you know, rap and stuff in the, in the show. It actually yes, works. Yes, thank you I for think. bringing that up. I actually forgot to mention it. Yeah, like there's some really uh, some really great songs that tie into you know the scene they're portraying, whether it's about you know uh, female power or you know black empowerment. There's some really cool cool song choices throughout. You eat that, Hamilton. Um, yeah, you know, fuck you, it, Hamilton. It is, yeah, because like you ne- you never really see that when it's a period piece. You always see music from the time. And uh, and in this, like, they're showing music way ahead of its time, yeah. but yet forty two did that as well, right? I don't remember whether or not forty two did that. Yeah, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure. There were a sure lot of uh, there were a lot of James Brown songs in that Get Up flick, though. I'll say that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the <laughs> there you <laughs> go. The um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's also it's just uh, it's an interesting way to show how like you know the experience while it evolves is still very. Uh, it's still very specific at its core. Like it doesn't matter how, what kind of generation you're in, the black experience still is the same. And, um, you know, whether you're using the blues or Motown to sing about it or hip hop or rap to sing about it or spoken word, like, you know, it's, it, it, it can still apply to then now and tomorrow, you know? Yeah, definitely. That being said, any closing thoughts on the first three episodes of Lovecraft country tie? I think they nail the social commentary. I'm not sure where the story's going. Which I actually like, because I'm not sure where it's going either. I don't know a lot about Lovecraft. Like, I know a little about Tolkien and then even less about Lovecraft. So I'm just kind of, like, going to sit back and watch and see see where it goes. And, um, you know, maybe I'll get into Lovecraft after this. Who You know, who knows? Like, you know, a little, uh, you know, get some abridged stories on stuff. Because it seems like if I were a fan, I would be a little more excited about the monsters they are putting in. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, but uh, but I do like the, you know, the I, I got into uh, a little Twitter argument with someone today. And they were talking about how, like, how the Mandalorian should have should have won over Watchmen and stuff like that. And um, you really? know, I, told him, I said I said Mandalorian was good, but it was predictable. The Mandalorian was a very predictable story, yes, especially if you've ever new. played Dungeons and Dragons. Like, uh, I still loved what they did with it. Don't get me wrong, but you know, I didn't. You know, with 
you know, it was it was Watchmen versus uh, you know yeah. versus uh, Mandalorian. So the Mandalorian like, also know. has a terrible prison episode. So yes, there is. I loved it. I loved. I dude, hated it so get much. Get the gang together, do a heist. I'm for it every uh, every day. Every yeah, day. with the worst acting imaginable. Wait, 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 um, did you ever see the uh, the meme where it was like uh, the fact that Bill Burr is in the Mandalorian uh, posits the existence of some sort of space Boston? <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I love that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the, um, you know, Watchmen was, you know, you didn't know where it was going in Lovecraft country. I have absolutely no idea, especially since I didn't read the book. So I'm looking forward to see, see where it goes, how much more it has to say, how trippy it can get. Uh, I can't wait. Want to let everyone else know that we are working on, uh, uh, Patreon and uh, different tiers and what we're going to be offering. So if you have any uh, ideas as to what kind of perks you might want from us uh, that you would be willing to drop a dollar or five dollars on a month, feel free to let us know. You can uh, contact us uh, via Twitter at Politipop Pod. You can find us on Instagram at Politipop Podcast. You can email us at Politipopcast at gmail.com. You can find us on YouTube now uh, where we're going to be uh, not only putting like video versions of our podcast but also some other exclusive of content uh, which remains to be seen it's to be announced tba uh, you can listen to <laughs> us and rate and review us on uh apple podcast spotify google podcast the iheart radio app amazon music and uh if you do find us on youtube please uh like and subscribe uh you know hit that bell so you know whenever we post up a new episode we're doing this every single week every and, week uh, yep that's right every single week and uh, that being said, for the Politipop Podcast, I've been Mike Booch. I've been Ty. Thanks for the support. And no matter what you're watching, what you're reading, what you're listening to, always remember, never stop thinking, never stop learning, and please, read between the lines.